Welcome to the Venture 12 podcast, conversations to engage and inspire missional people. to the Venture 12 podcast. This is season two, episode number 13, which is uncharted territory, because in season one, we only had 12 episodes. Yeah, and we've never been here before. No, there's fact number one of the day for you. Yeah, and I'd just like to, just like to say, Mm. this is going to be good. Welcome to the greatest show on the (laughs) earth. (laughs) Welcome. There you go, that's a welcome. Yeah, I was hoping I was going to do the welcome, but you got in there first. Yeah, well, there's usually, to be honest, there's usually a countdown on uh, Garage Band that gives you four, and then we, we we don't really plan too much these start bits, do we? We just kind of point at whoever's going to do the welcome, and I was planning on pointing you at you too, but yeah. uh, there was no countdown, and I got scared, and I started talking. You did, but you know, we've not done a podcast for a long time, so it's, yeah, you know, maybe a bit rusty. Yeah, yeah. I think we are. I was expecting the point. Yeah, well, I'm Chris, and uh, this is Mark. Yeah. Uh, and it's difficult because, I mean, like I've already mentioned, we don't put a lot of thought into what we're going to talk about in the beginning bit. We, we, we think more and plan more about the reflection time. Yeah. Uh, and for some reason, just when we've been talking about this now, you said, I know, let's not ask each other how we are today. Uh, so I don't know what to say next. You said maybe give some news. Yeah, I would like to know what, what's um, what's the big stuff that's happening in your life. Oh, gosh, spiritually, without <laughs> without telling you how I am. No, that's too deep. Just yeah. give us give us maybe that's too deep to just go into yeah, your spiritual it, life straight away. Easy. But what what's what's happening, Chris? Uh, gosh, I mean, can you focus it in a little bit? The question. Yeah, something that's made reform you, it. Made you okay. Something that's made you happy. Yeah. Something that's. Um, made you laugh yeah something that I don't know okay uh, something that makes me happy I mean if I'm talking relatively shallow level here uh, I'm a Crystal Palace fan coming to the end of our season first season with a new manager in charge and we've won two games to go we are the only team outside European places with a positive goal difference <laughs> right and that makes me happy Shows a lot of progress. I'm really happy about that. Yeah. Uh, something that makes me laugh. My sons on a daily basis are making me laugh at the moment. Uh, my eldest is two and a half. And uh, one of his teachers said to us uh, yesterday, uh, my wife picked him up and she said, I just need a word with you. Just so you know, at the dinner table, uh, he he's asking for more food. And if we say no, he's had enough or he needs to wait. And he's doing this really funny sigh. Uh, and then basically refusing to talk uh, to people. So if he asks for more food and I say, no, you need to wait for other, everyone else to finish, then he'll, he'll just make this noise. He'll go, Ugh, and then just refuse to talk to the teachers, which is... Where does he get, where does he get that from? I mean I, I mean, I would say that my relationship with food also causes me to be emotional. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I think that yeah. he's probably in the baby steps of uh, being like his father. Yeah, I was talking to someone... Uh, a few days ago about that moment where 
you you're just in a bad mood and you know you need to find a restaurant yeah you need to get food yeah and you can't operate yeah and you stop people, thinking yeah, yeah. stop yeah. thinking you can't have a proper conversation if you're with your wife or with other people no. uh, and you know that the only thing that's going to rescue the day yeah is making a quick choice getting down and getting yeah. something in you did you know that moment yeah i know the moment yeah, yeah i know yeah. it well it's, it's amazing how it, vulnerable we are yeah as men yeah. in that in those moments those dark moments yeah <laughs> that's, that's good that's a good reflection that a good thought yeah yeah just yeah. wondering what people think of that out there yeah so uh yeah your relationship with those dark moments when you need yeah something where, where are you most vulnerable is that a question to me or to the, no that just, was just, that was just a, i threw it out to the universe yeah because i felt that was really <laughs> Was it too intrusive? Yeah, it was a bit intense. Straight All right, away. what's your biggest secret? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, go on then. Uh, I mean, we're kind of asking each other how we are now without really doing it. But uh, what's made you um, frustrated or um, uh, annoyed? I've gone for the negative. Yeah, I didn't really want to go down that path. Um, <laughs> All right, all right, let's change it. What, what, what's, what make, what's making you optimistic for the future at the moment? Optimistic for the future? Yeah, on uh, a shallow level. On a shallow level? Yeah, like I answered about football. I don't want you going really deep now and outshining me. Um, and it's not allowed to be about football. Okay. <laughs> this is going to be really hard. Um, optimistic. Well, it's, just, it's we're coming to the end of spring. We live in a beautiful city, Helsingborg. I wish I could describe it to you, but it's a city of about 130,000, 140,000 yeah. people. Yeah. It's about an hour from Copenhagen. We can see Denmark every day. We're in Sweden. There's boats that go to Denmark back and forth. They take 20 minutes. Um, it's a beautiful part of the world, I think it is anyway. Yeah. And in the summer, this city comes alive. We've got several beaches um, there's lots of events there's a big event in our city an, ex- an ex- exhibition yeah where there's going to be lots happening with innovation and stuff like that it's quite an innovative city yeah so there is an optimistic feel in the city yeah there is but there's also an optimistic feel when the end of spring well spring comes to an end and summer yeah. kicks in yeah and uh, so lots of swimming in the sea lots of uh, yeah it's just good good to be here I love yeah. being here I love this city yeah it comes <clears> alive yeah. I remember, actually, I mean, Sweden never really entered into a lockdown phase during the pandemic. There was obviously suggested restrictions and stuff, but there was never a lockdown. And uh, I remember one day I went to the beach um, and uh, I was on some kind of communication with my family, probably our WhatsApp family chat. And I think someone sent a picture of what London was looking like at the moment. In lockdown? During lockdown, yeah. yeah. And it was just empty. And I sent a pic- yeah. this video back of Sweden or of Helsingborg, bang in the middle of summer, which is basically, it's a holiday town. I mean, people come here for events, concerts, sports, like all that kind of stuff throughout the summer. And I, just in the, that moment of filming, doing a pan around, I was just like, this is an amazing city. Like, it was just absolutely rammed. People feeling like the beach, the grass area next to it, the whole pathway, stuff yeah. ready for concerts, beach volleyball courts in full flow, restaurants open with terraces. Around the harbours. Yeah. Yeah. Stunning. Yeah, it's brilliant. We sometimes even go fishing, don't we? Yeah. We should get ready for that. Yeah. yeah Although, should. I've never caught... <laughs> <laughs> Have I ever caught a fish? 
we caught a fish. We, well, I mean, kind of. We went on a fishing boat trip. Oh yeah, we, yeah. With a professional like thing where they take you to the best places, and then we caught loads. You've got to tell this. This is a great story. What about the guy next to us? Yeah, Polish guy. Yeah, there was a Polish guy next to us, um, and uh, so we went on a we went on a, a real fishing boat. Yeah, and um, we were catching herring, weren't we? Yeah. Like loads and loads. We got maybe I don't know somewhere between thirty and fifty each. Yeah. Um, but this guy next to us, and it, they they kind of give you these hooks, and on each um, on each cast that you do, there's like eight hooks down the line, so you can catch a maximum of eight fish on every cast. And he caught, I don't know what he was doing, it looked like he was doing the same as us, but he was obviously an expert, and he was catching eight fish on every single cast he did. Yeah. But then when he pulled it up, it wasn't just fish. And the most amazing sight is when he reeled up a starfish. Yeah. Which did. doesn't even have a, a mouth, as far as I know. <laughs> or it must do. Like. Yeah. But he caught a starfish. Starfish have mouth, mate. It's... Have you seen one? It's underneath. The mouth's underneath. Well, how did he get the... Yeah, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Caught a starfish. And he caught some, some other stuff as well, didn't he? Yeah. Um, anyway, whatever. He, he... It was... I was in awe. Yeah. And I had to talk to him. I said, what are you doing? Yeah. You're not, we've got the same equipment. But we're, we're standing a metre apart from him. But he wasn't generous, was he? He didn't share any tips? No. He just laughed and said, thank you. Yeah, but that was because he couldn't speak English that well. Well. Anyway, yeah. But it was amazing and it was an amazing trip. But we do go fishing with our rods sometimes yeah. off the yeah. rocks. Yeah, off the rocks. I'm not sure we should be saying that publicly. I'm not entirely sure it's legal. Yeah, should check that out. Yeah. Uh, by the time you're listening to this we'll have fishing licences in Helsingborg yeah <clears throat> but uh, yeah no you've never actually done anything illegal because you've never caught one <laughs> yeah I've just, been, I've just been standing there with a rod <laughs> we go for about an hour or two at a time yeah <laughs> yeah I listened to tips actually we met um, a guy who shared some wisdom with us uh, and I listened to his tips because we were unsuccessful and I started reeling some in yeah but you decided to stick firm to your ways that were rooted in no experience or knowledge yeah there's a sermon in that yeah there is yeah i'm sure i'm sure you've you've used that as an illustration yeah, yeah. i use it as an opportunity to talk Maybe. about your stubbornness and yeah i think you have my actually. humility i'm sure i've heard you speak do this in a sermon yeah like really put yeah. the spotlight on my stubbornness and my yeah and then comparing me to the church the, hu- <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 the humble leadership thing to do would be to make myself in your position, yeah, but I don't think I did. Yeah, no, no, no. you used my. <laughs> I think I used your name and social security star- number. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Mark Cottrell, who lives that. Yeah. yeah, no, great times. We're looking forward to the summer. Yeah, so it's a long answer to what I'm optimistic yeah. about. But anyway, that's um, yeah, not any good segue at all. But uh, I wanted to say something before we introduce the podcast. Okay. Is I just think the last podcast yeah. with Tracy Matthews. Yeah that we did um yeah. that emma and ashley did yeah, was was really was was brilliant yeah it was different yeah. and uh i really really encourage you if you're listening and you're not listening to that last episode is yeah. to use it try out the exercise out the the spiritual attunement exercise out with your yeah. teens because uh, I, I just after listening listening to it i thought this is really significant what mm. we're listening to mm. um so i do share it push it out there we'd love to hear people who are exploring that kind of stuff and and testing that stuff we, yeah. we'd really love to get that kind of feedback absolutely yeah, we'd love more feedback in general wouldn't we yeah we need it 
Uh, yeah, we do actually. Yeah. All right, well, um, look, why don't you introduce us uh, to this next guest and uh, what the topic of today is? So I had the privilege of interviewing Greg Boyd and uh, over the years I've read several of his books. Uh, so he's an author, he's been a professor, he's the lead pastor at Woodlands Hills Community Church. I uh, love to listen to their Sunday teaching. Um, and so the podcast is really about, he's seen as a, an open theist uh, and he'll unpack what, what we mean by that. And I, I was really interested to hear um, just some of the foundational thoughts that underpin that theology and also how that impacts mission, how that impacts how we see the world and our role within it uh, as God's people. So uh, hopefully some of that will come out in the podcast. Yeah. Um, but he's great. You can really enjoy this podcast, uh, just full of enthusiasm, full of great, great stuff. So let's go for it. Yep, stick around afterwards. Um, We'll try to unpack it and reflect on stuff a little bit more. See you soon. Well, welcome, Greg Boyd, to the Venture 12 podcast. Delighted to have you on the show. How are you doing? Thank you for inviting me. It's, it's a pleasure to be here. Wonderful. Could we just, uh, we always ask right at the beginning for the, our guests just to introduce themselves, what they do, uh, how they spend the time, um, what you love. Tell All us right. about yourself. Uh, well, I'm uh, Greg Boyd. I'm the husband of Shelley uh, for 43 years. Been married, blissfully happy for 43 years. We have three grown children, and we've got six grandkids, and a very, very cute little little Morky dog. Uh, I was a professor for a lot of years. I still am an adjunct professor at Northern Seminary, but I, for 16 years I was a professor at, at uh, Bethel College. I started a church uh, 30 years ago or so, Woodland Hills Church, and that's still going and thriving. I'm still the senior pastor of that. I'm the uh, president of Renew Ministries with a K R E K N E W Renew.org. Uh, it's my my web website outside of Woodland Hills. Um, I love to uh, I, I I I love preaching the gospel. I love when the coin falls in the slot. I love when people, you know, get an idea that really helps them live differently and uh, you know put, that makes sense out of things. Uh, I love challenging people uh, and um, I love going for long walks with my dog. I, I just the commune with God out in nature. I go on on hikes. And it's the main way that I've been connected with God the last couple of years. So uh, yeah. that's what I love. Oh, then I love drumming. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because on the Renew podcast that you do, is that you drumming? Yeah, I always do a little drum thing in that, that, that intros the, 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 the piece. Yeah. It, could you tell us a bit about the idea or your understanding of mission as you grew up and how that's perhaps evolved over time? Well, um, I didn't grow up with any kind of sense of mission. Uh, I mean, I grew up nominally Catholic, but uh, my parents divorced and then that fell apart. And so I was in, uh, pretty much an atheist. I came to Christ at the age of 17. Uh, you came at 19, so I beat you by two years. Uh, and um, yeah, so the, but the basic idea of mission that I initially got as a Christian was that our mission is to, uh, to save souls. That's it. Uh, you know, uh, I was told, 
we'll all be raptured. I mean, suctioned out of this world when Jesus returns and, and the world's going to go to hell in a handbasket. So why bother with improving society or caring about the environment or any of those sorts of things? You know, it's like you don't rearrange furniture on, on the Titanic once it, it hits the iceberg. So it's, if it's going down, it's going down. So just save souls, you know, grab as many hands as you can on the way up. And, and that was it. And that, that was pretty much the, the, the gospel that I was I had up until about the time I started Wilden Hills Church in the early 90s. Uh, and then just between pastoring a church and, and studying scripture and doing sorts of reading it, my own thinking has evolved enormously on that. I, I, I now believe that, that um, you know, the, the idea of church that we had back then was that the goal is to get as many people to come to this weekend event as possible. That's church. And, and, and whoever gets the most people coming, it wins. You know, that's sort of the contest. Um, and what I found at, at, at Woodland Hills is that it's not hard to get a lot of people to come to an event. If, if you have a kicking musical group and you got a speaker that can, you know, hold an audience, you can get a crowd. But what's hard to do, Mark, is, is making disciples out of them. <laughs> That's the challenge. And I've really come to see that. What it means about Jesus is that we actually follow. Uh, it's not just believing in Jesus, but there's actually a, a life that you follow him. And you can't follow Jesus um, without, without being involved in the things that he was involved in. And he was involved in people's life here and now. It wasn't just, he didn't go around saying, hey, buy your fire insurance by believing in me. No, he was out meeting needs. You know, when people were hungry, he gave them something to eat. And when they're, they're marginalized, he welcomed them in. And, and, and he, you need healing, he brought healing. Prince brought deliverance. And, and so it's, it's a gospel that makes a, a, a difference here and now. So the gospel, that, that the good news that Jesus brought, it was good news in the afterlife for sure, but it was also good news in this present life. And it was good news because it met people's needs here and now. Um, and so I think the, the mission of the church is to be a giant Jesus. It's to replicate. Uh, we're connected to the same head that Jesus' earthly body was connected to. It's just that we're his corporate body. And so, you know, the, but Jesus pushed back on every aspect of his culture that was not in line with the kingdom of God. Because uh, he manifested the kingdom of God. And to manifest what it looks like when God reigns in the life, and Jesus is the incarnation of the reign of God, to do that, you have to push back on everything that is contrary to the kingdom of God. And so, you know, the way Jesus treats women pushes back on the sexism of his day. Uh, and, and, you know, the, the way that, that, that Jesus uh, treated non-Jews, uh, holding up Samaritans as heroes in some of his stories and going out of his way to meet the Samaritan woman. That pushed, uh, pushed back against the racism of Jesus' day. Um, and the way that Jesus man manifested what it looks like to be free of greed. And, and, and um, it, he, he pushes back on the, the, the greed of his day. And, and he could go down the list. And so I, I think what the, the job of the church, the mission of the church, is simply to manifest the reign of God. Uh, and in doing that, being the body of Christ, replicating what Jesus did in his, his life. And by God's own design, that is to attract people into the kingdom we're offering people something they we're offering people something they don't already have um it's an alternative kingdom and an alternative king alternative way of living and fo folks who are hungry for something that that the world doesn't yet have to offer are attracted to it that's so good as, uh, i'd love to as we go on in the conversation if we can arc back around to some of that stuff and re revisit some of that stuff uh, that'd sure. be great um but uh, one of the things that you're described as uh that sounds weird, doesn't it? Say you describe as something, but you're you're an open theist, uh, and um, so I'm told. 
so you t- <laughs> you've written several books and uh, you know you're fairly well known in that space um, for perhaps folks who are listening who are maybe unaware of the term could you perhaps lay down some of the foundational ideas that underpin sure. open theism and con- maybe contrasting that with other ideas sure um well, the, the, I've never really cared for the term open theism because it makes it sound like the unique aspect of this belief is has to do with what we think about God. Right. Um, but it really isn't a so much a unique thing about God as it is a unique a unique perspective on creation. Uh, the, the open view just holds that God created this world and and God, God because the goal is love, God created us free, us and angelic beings at least. Are, are, are free because love has to be chosen. It can't be pre-programmed. You can't, a, a robot can never love. It can act loving, talk loving, but it can never be loving because there's no person there. There's no choice maker there. So God created this world and created us free. And what it means to be free is that it's within my power to do this or to do that, right? That, that's what freedom means. I get to choose God's way or my own way. And that's being very simplistic, but it comes down to that. And uh, so because of that, then the, I create the fact of whether I will do this or do that. A new fact comes into being when I make a choice. Before it was possible that I would do this and possible I would do that. But I choose, I actualize one of those possibilities, which means that before I actualize the possibility, there's no fact there. There's no fact. The the final fact before I resolve a choice, all there is to be known, all that is real is I could do this or I could do that. So in the open view, that's what God knows, because God is omniscient and knows reality exactly as it is. God knows that Greg Boyd at this time and place could do this or he could do that. Um, and then when I resolve it in my heart, uh, which way I'm going to go, then, of course, there's a new fact and God knows that fact. So the future is to some degree, to whatever degree God gives us free will, to that degree, the future is genuinely open. Uh, it's defined as a realm of possibilities rather than exclusively as a, as, as a domain of settled facts. Now, that contrasts with the traditional view, um, which holds that all the facts of what every individual will choose eternally precedes their choosing it. Hmm. Because God eternally knows the fact of what you're going to choose. So if, if God knows from all eternity that Greg Boyd will, let's say, at, in, in the year 2024, April 1st, will buy a blue Toyota, as opposed to the green Toyota or the red Cadillac or whatever. Um, well, if, that, if that's a fact, if God knows it, well, then it can't be a fact. It, 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 ha- it has to be a fact. And, and if God knows it, well, then it's an irrevocable fact. It's an irreversible fact. It's an eternally settled fact. So if it's an eternal settled fact that I will buy a blue Toyota on April 1st of 2023, did I say? Um, then how, how am I free to choose it or to choose otherwise? I could blow up by the blue Toyota or the red Cadillac. Hmm, what will I do? Well, if it's eternally certain that I'll choose the blue Toyota, then obviously I, I'm not free to choose the, the Cadillac. Uh, and if I'm not free to choose otherwise, then how am I at all free? So in the traditional view, everything's eternally certain. But that, that, that I think, undermines free will. Um, it gives all of this reality a sense of a, almost a pro forma activity. It's like we're going through the motions. Nothing really is at stake. Everything's already a foregone conclusion. It's, got, it's like God's watching a, a movie for the 10,000th time. You know, it's, it's all pretty subtly. He knows what's going to happen. It's just kind of like press play. And then in some people's theology, 
not only is is it uh, you know certain of what what of what we're going to choose, but um, they hold that God willed everything that will come to pass. So God knows what's going to happen because God wills it. And of course, that creates e enormous problems in terms of accounting for the evil in this world. Hmm. If God's all good, then why would He ordain all the evil that happens here? So the open view says that no, it's it's the world. The world is 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 to some degree open to the degree that God has given us a uh, uh, a free will. So it's not an issue, and this is what's important. Critics always say that this view limits God's omniscience. Omniscience means God is all knowing, and they they think that it limits God's omniscience because they assume that all the facts of the future are out there to be known, and therefore when I or some other open theist says no, God doesn't know those facts out there, they think we're limiting God's knowledge. But we're not. We're saying God doesn't know those facts out there because there are no facts out there. God doesn't know that there's a unicorn in my room because guess what? There's not a unicorn in my room. But it's no limitation on God that he doesn't know that there's a unicorn in my room because there's not a unicorn in my room. So also, uh, if the future is partly composed of possibilities, then an omniscient God would know it as possibility, um, not as a, a uh, uh, eternally settled fact. That's great. You, uh, I've heard you talk before about um, how God displays his power um, through, through love, through wisdom. And you use a really great example of uh, um, the, the chess, the chess game. Yeah. Uh, uh, could you could you unpack that for us? Because I, I when I, I don't know where you've spoken about that or whether it's in a book or something, but I thought that was just a great image of how well, you know, done this. Sure, sure. I, I, it, the chess analogy, uh, it goes back. I didn't come up with this. Uh, Peter Geach actually was the first one who used this analogy. In fact, it was an analogy in I read it in the eighties. And it's what got me starting to go down the, the, this path. Uh, it's by Peter Geach. Um, and um, here's the thing. It's, it's like, picture there, there's, there's three, three people who are champions in chess. The first one wins every game because they control what their opponent does. They have total control over what their opponent does. So they win. Uh, the second chess champion always wins because while he doesn't control what his opponent does, he has a crystal ball and can foresee every move they're going to make. Okay, so the first one is the Calvinist model of God. The second one is the Arminian model of God. The third one is, uh, this guy's a chess champion, but uh, it's not because he controls his opponent or even has a crystal ball and can foreknow what his opponent will do. It's just because this, this chess opponent is infinitely intelligent. There's no limit on his intelligence. And so he's able to anticipate, since if you have unlimited intelligence, you can't fraction infinity, right? So... Whatever move you're going to make, God can anticipate that move from the beginning of the game as though you had to make it. Um, for every possible move you could make in response to God's moves, um, he's been anticipating that move as though you had to make it. So a God of, of unlimited intelligence could anticipate every one, each and every one of a trillion, trillion to the trillionth power possibilities as though each of one of those possibilities was an absolute certainty. It's as though all of his attention is on possibility number one, and all of his attention is on possibility number two, because you can't fraction infinity. So whatever move, you, if you're going to play God in chess, whatever move you make, and you're free to make any move you want, but God's been anticipating you making that move from the very beginning of the game. Of course, I'd say the same thing, whatever move you make, you could have made a hundred different moves, and whatever move you would have made, I would have said, God's been anticipating you making that move from the beginning of the game and preparing a response to it. 
So whatever you plan you make uh, will invariably uh, feed into your own, your, you being checkmated. You can't help it because if, if you're finite intelligence, you can't anticipate all the possibilities, but God can. And in chess, as in life, whoever anticipates the most possibilities accurately wins. And so it, now, who is the greater chess champion? The one who wins because he controls his opponent? Well, that's about as praiseworthy as me. Look, look, I can wiggle my little finger. I have total control over my finger. It does whatever I say. Oh, praise me. Or if I have a crystal ball, oh, I can see where Mark's going to move. Okay, now, now that's just some kind of esoteric eyesight you've got. There's, no, there's not, nothing praiseworthy there. It's just an ability. But to have the smarts, the, the brilliance, the ingenuity, to uh, anticipate what's going to come to pass. See, that I think is just the most praiseworthy, uh, most praiseworthy view of God. And if you, if you really believe it, see, here's the thing. And this is the, the, the real nub of it. Um, the Bible says that God, in all things, Romans 8, 28, God's working together for the better for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purposes. So people look at the good that God brought out of an event. And they assume since they would have had to have either plan that event to bring that kind of good out of it, or at least have had a crystal ball to foreknow it. Since they would have needed that, they assume God needs that. How could God possibly guarantee they can bring good out of evil unless he knows what's going to happen from all eternity past or unless he's controlling everything that happens? Well, see, if God's smart, he doesn't need either of those two things. He just, he just anticipates it. So whatever happens here, whatever happens to me, I can say, I, I go out and I'm driving in the car and it's a slippery day today because we're having, it's sleeting rain, it's 30 degrees, worst driving conditions possible. But I go out to the grocery store, my car slips off the road and I end up, um, you know, wounding a little kid and losing my leg. I'm just making this up as I go along. Well, here's the thing. It's tragic. It's terrible. I wish it didn't happen. But I can know that God's going to be at work in that situation to bring redemptive value out of it, bring good out of it. Not because he foresaw it, because it wasn't a subtle fact until I decided to go out and drive. And not because he controls it, because God doesn't do evil things, like wounding kids and cutting off legs. He, but rather, he's so smart that he's, he's anticipated from the foundation of the world that on this date, at this particular time, it might be the case that Greg Boyd will be out driving in slick weather, and it might be the case that that kid will be walking out there at that time, and it might be the case that my car will slide and run into the kid, and I'll lose my leg, and he'll get wounded. And so God sets up a plan in case that happens. And so when it does happen, boom, he's got a plan in place and can bring good out of it. The thing is, is that I'd say the exact same thing if anything else had happened. Whatever, a trillion other things could have happened if a decision when I was five years old had been different. I wouldn't have been on the car at this, at this point, or it wouldn't be on the road at this point. And, but if that had happened, then I'd, I'd say the same thing. Uh, God's, God's been anticipating, God's been anticipating this conversation from the foundation of the world, because it was always possible that it, at this date, at this time, we would be having this conversation. Of course, it could have gone a trillion different ways, and God would have anticipated those too. But uh, yeah, so it, it, if you trust God's smart, we only use coercion and control things when we're not confident about our wisdom and our character. Yeah. <clears throat> but God's wisdom and character is perfect, and so he doesn't need to rely on coercion. And besides, um, Paul says that the, that the cross is the power and the wisdom of God. The cross, Romans, or, or uh, 1 Corinthians 1.18. Um, so when, it, when God shows off his power, it looks like Jesus Christ being crucified. Now, nothing could look weaker than a man hanging on a cross. I mean, he's got no power in the universe. I mean, he's, he, this is the definition of non-power. 
And yet Paul says, this is the power of God. Because it's by means of this self-sacrificial love that God wins our hearts. That's why Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all people to myself. John 12, 32. Um, it, 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 God's power is the beauty of his character that draws and transforms us from the inside out. And, and that's why it's, the whole thing is about love. Inf, influential love is the only kind of power that's consistent with love. Yeah. If, if I love you, I, I will try to persuade you in a direction that I think is good for you. But I would never coerce you. Uh, that would that rob you of your personhood. And so I think this idea of power is Zeus, you know, mighty, strong. I get to have my way. I get to impose my will on others. I get to defeat my enemies. I get to win. That's the kind of power we've been ascribing to the gods all throughout history. Because yeah. it's the kind of power that we lust after. We want the power to pounce on people. Um, when Paul comes along and says, no, the cross is the power of God, he's saying something that no human being has ever said before. This is a thought that's completely kind. We know what it's like when human beings make God in their own image. They look like a giant version of us. But we would never uh, think of power as laying down our life for our enemies. But that's how Paul defines it. That's how I know this is divine revelation. Because no human being would ever think this thought on themselves, I don't think. And, and it's, just, it's too beautiful for, to think a human being could make that up. Yeah, I was going to ask, ask, actually, maybe you're already answering it, but I was going to, like, off the back of... What, you, what you've been saying how does how does this change our uh image of god because i mean ultimately that is foundational that's crucial and and off the back of that how does that impact how we view god engaging relating with us with the world oh, sure. creation yeah i i think it makes all the difference in the world um you know the one of the, one of the major motivations is is this i i if you have a i, I just think it's so poor so important that we trust that when jesus says if you see me you see the father john 14 7 through 9 then when he says that he means it and we believe it that that you know philip says jesus show us the father and then we'll be satisfied and jesus says oh hey i've been so long with you and yet you don't know me if you see me you see the father why then do you ask show us the father and what he's saying is if you want to know what the father's like in terms of his, the father's character don't look to the left of jesus don't look to the right of jesus don't look behind jesus or in front of jesus look at jesus He's the incarnation of the Father's character. And, 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 and what he reveals, most importantly, John sums it up like this. First John 4, 8, he says, God is love. And then John defines love by pointing us to the cross. First John 3, 16. Here's how we know what love is. Christ laid down his life for us, so also we should lay down our life for one another. So God is cross-like love. God is other-oriented, self-sacrificial love. And to the degree that, that we have that mental, to, that we trust that, and that's our mental conception of God, well, we take on that image. Paul says in, in 2 Corinthians 3 that says, as we, as we with unveiled minds, the Spirit has freed our minds to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And as we behold that glory, we're transformed from one degree of glory to another. It's the beauty that we behold that determines the beauty that we become. And so if we have an ugly conception of God, we, te we, we tend towards ugliness. And there's, in fact, a lot of empirical studies that have shown this, that people who have violent conceptions of God are more inclined towards violence. Whereas it, uh, the beauty of your life will never outrun the beauty of your mental conception of God. And so I, I, the, the first, you know, Paul said that, because we're convinced, <clears throat> 2 Corinthians 5, he says, we're convinced that if one died, that one died for all, and therefore all have died. He's explaining why he gave up his cushy life as a Pharisee as now sacrificing all this for, for a church to be a church planner. He says, well, we're convinced that if one died for all, all have died. And, and, and the love of Christ compels us. So he's, 
I think the, the right motivation in the kingdom for doing anything we do, whether it's missions or preaching or whatever, <clears throat> the right motivation is, is that we're compelled by love. We're not motivated by fear, uh, by judgment. No, we're the love of, if I be lifted up on the cross, I'll draw all people to myself. It's the beauty of God's self-sacrificial love that draws. And so the mission <clears throat> of the church is just to proclaim that. Which is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. And he's given to us this ministry of reconciliation. Whereby God's not holding anyone's sin against them. And so we proclaim this to the world. God's not holding your sin against you. But rather, be reconciled to God. Accept this. And he says, so we're ambassadors of, 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 of reconciliation. That, I think, is the mission of the church. That's to demonstrate, to illustrate, and to proclaim that love of God that was revealed on Calvary. And as we do that, we're the body of Christ doing what Jesus did in his first uh, uh, earthly body. And that's how the kingdom of God advances in this world. Uh, that's brilliant. I'm really enjoying this. I've, what I was thinking about when you were, talk, when you were talking is um, uh, in some traditions, and, and even in my own tradition, you know, we, I grew up with people, uh, and maybe even I was taught to to believe or taught to say to people when they needed some encouragement that God is in control. Oh, yeah. When, when is it appropriate to say God is in control? I mean, just going back to some of the open uh, theism stuff uh, with yeah. the idea that um, the future is partly free, and but, but also partly that there are some parameters right. that God has kind of designed uh what, what how, in terms of in our christian culture in our way we relate with other when is it okay to say god is in control when is god actually in control well you know there's we we say those things people tend to say those things god's in control or god knows what he's doing or god's still on his throne or god's got a plan and nothing happens by accident there's there's a reason for everything all those kind of cliches they're all legacies of ancient stoicism it crept into the Christian church, mainly through Augustine. Uh, and you have what I call a blueprint worldview, where everything is going to go according to God's blueprint. And, and, and so we have all these slogans. And it's meant to give assurance to people. As bad as it looks, God's in control. God's still on the throne. God knows what he's doing. And, and they mean well when they say that, but they don't realize how sometimes if you just think about what you're saying, it can be so wounding to people. I, I know a lady who... Had a five-year-old son who ran out on the street to after a ball. There's a guy who had been drinking and is driving, and he hits the kid, and the kid dies. And the first thing that she hears from a neighbor as she's in despair is, well, God knows what he's doing. There's a reason for everything. God must have needed your child more in heaven than he needed him down here on earth, and all that other stuff. <laughs> I don't have the word that I can say publicly, but, but what do I really think about it? But it's just so... It's like the mother who's, you know, as U.S. is bombing Dresden, Germany in World War II, and the city is being leveled just like Putin's leveling, you know, Marlboro, Ukraine right now. But the mother says it's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. Two minutes before the bomb drops on her house and kills them both. Uh, but it's like we, this is what we want to hear right now. Now, see, the thing is, is I can say God's in control. If you mean by that, God's in control of the big picture. Um, the universe isn't spinning out of control. Uh, there's a, a God's going to win in the end. Uh, God can manage this. God's infinitely smart. It, it will turn out okay in the end. I can say that. But at the present time, I don't want to say God's controlling everything now. It's like, you know, 
a military uh, leader. Uh, you could say, you know, do you have control of your troops? And if a good military leader would say, yes, I do. But that doesn't mean he's controlling everything his troops do. And there may be a lot of things his troops are doing that he doesn't like, but he's got, the, he's got the troop under control. So also, you know, God is the one who decided how much freedom we're going to have, how much freedom angels have, how, you know, uh, how wide are the parameters of, of our possibilities. Um, we've got a tremendous amount of say-so. For better or for worse, we can do a whole lot of good. We can do a whole lot of evil in this world. But I don't believe that we're able to blow up the world before God wants the world to end. I, 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 I don't think we're going to bring a, a, you know, about a disaster that's going to thwart God's plan to have a bride, a corporate bride who reflects his love. You know, and that's been the goal from the start. So God's overall objectives for creation will happen. In that sense, he's in control. But do I, do I think that God likes what Putin's doing over there? Let alone do I think God's making Putin do what he's doing over in Ukraine? No. That's got a lot more of the devil in it than it's got God. Um, and the, it's the thief who comes to kill, steal, and destroy. That's not God's doing. Yeah, that's the thief. And so, uh, yeah, the, 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 there's a saints that work in the world. There's principalities and powers. There's demons and there's human beings. And for all we know, other agents are operative as well. So God's will isn't the only will that, that determines what comes to pass. Right. Uh, we can thwart God's will. Uh, Luke 7, 30. Uh, the Pharisees and Sadducees rejected God's purpose for themselves by rejecting John's baptism. We can reject God's purposes. That's what it is to be. That's what it means to be a free agent. So it, it's so important because we should never take, don't infer anything about God's character by what goes on in this world. I, I even worry about people when they say, you know, that the reason I love God and the reason I trust God is because He's been so faithful to me. Whenever I needed food, He was there. Whenever I needed protection, He was there. Well, that's good. But what about the people who? starve to death and who get bombed you know god loves them too and and, and so i wouldn't base your faith on god on the fact that you're still alive and that you got fed and you got anything because other people who have more faith than you got it worse you just got lucky why am i in america rather than ukraine i got lucky <laughs> that's what it comes down to and 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 so if you want to know what god's like keep your eyes fixed on jesus christ and especially jesus christ crucified uh, don't infer anything about god's character or god's plans or god's will on the basis of what happens in this world. Uh, no, we're, we live in the middle of a war zone. It's a, it's a combination of good and evil. And um, our job is to be on the side of the good. That's, that's good. That's helpful. Um, uh, one of the things I really wanted to ask you was around uh, the idea of vocation and calling. Um, and, and just thinking about like an open view. Um, you get the sense that the future is it's kind of fragile in some ways yes. maybe that's the wrong word but it's also full of maybes possibilities it's contingent yeah and then you know ultimately that leads us to or it should lead us to think oh what's my role in this story how how am i you know how is god empowering me as communally as well not just individually mm -hmm. um and what degree of say so do i have as being a co-creator of the future if you like yeah, maybe, yeah, that, yeah, maybe yeah. that's lofty um, but well, that's a good question. be interested to hear what you've learned in the space of vocation calling. Sure. Um, both individually and community, like the body as well. Good, good. And the, yeah, there's a lot more thinking that needs to be done on this. I, those terms can get used in different ways. And, and it's, uh, but I, I would say this, there's, there, there's, there's different kinds of calling. All right. So the, it, there's one sense in which we're all called to be faithful ambassadors of Jesus Christ. We're all called to be striving towards Christ-likeness. Um, 
And so like Paul says that in first or in Ephesians one, he goes that we were predestined in Christ to be holy and blameless in him in love. Uh, in love, he predestined us to be holy and blameless. Now, some folks take that to mean that that means that God from the foundation of the world chose you and chose me and chose everyone else who is going to be in Christ. And he predestined us to be saved, which has the implication that he predestined everyone else to be damned. I don't believe that for a second. I think God loves everybody and wants all to be safe. First uh, Peter three nine or Second Peter three nine. Um, the, the way I think Paul meant this, and this is the way Jews usually talked about this, is that when when, when it, it's like if if I were to say um, to a class, or let's say I'm giving a lecture to a class, and someone asks, you know, Mr. Boyd, when did you decide that we were going to watch this lecture or listen to this lecture? And I could say, well, actually, I decided this a week ago. Uh, or a month ago that I was going to give this class on this date. And then the student could say, turn to the rest of the class and say, okay, we were predestined from a month ago to listen to this lecture by Greg Boyd. But what wasn't predestined was who would show up for the lecture. What was predestined is whoever shows up for the lecture is going to get this particular lecture. That was predestined. But I didn't predestine any individuals to show up. But now that they showed up, they can all say, we were predestined to see this uh watch this uh lecture listen to this, this this lecture so also what's predestined is that whoever is in christ it's predestined that you're going to be holy and blameless paul doesn't say that you were predestined to be in christ rather if you're in christ it's predestined that you'll be holy and blameless so we're all called to that there's a universal calling to christ likeness but then there's particular vocational callings and some of these can be from you know maybe from birth uh jeremiah seemed like he was called from his mother's womb paul God has eye on these people to be used in a particular capacity. It doesn't mean that they were, they had to do that. They could have made other decisions. Uh, Paul says in, in Acts 27, he says to King Agrippa, I was, I, when I got that vision that knocked me off my horse, brought me into the kingdom, he says, I was not disobedient to that heavenly vision, which means he could have been disobedient. He, he, he had to, he could have walked away from that. But now that he chose it, this calling that God had on him from from his womb, it now comes into play. Um, but there's also then flexibility because our because our choices matter. Um, it can be the case that God has a calling in your life at one season, and then because of things that happen, the calling changes. So I, I, I'll give you a, a story about this. I um, a number of years ago was I preached at this church, and a lady came up afterwards, and um, told me that this, this horror story, this was her first time back in church. She hadn't been in church for eight years. And the reason is because um, her, she and her husband had been praying to have a child for the longest time. The doctor said that it didn't look like they, they were going to be able to for various reasons, but they kept on praying. And by golly, miraculously, they got a child. And she, you know, bragged about how God miraculously gave her this child and, and all this stuff. It was just beautiful. In the process of giving birth to this child, the umbilical cord got wrapped around the child's neck and the child ended up dying. Uh, it was a stillborn child. And this, of course, freaked her out. How could, how could God have given me this child only then to take it away in, in the process of, of, of giving birth? She went to a professor of theology at a local school around here and asked, why would God do this? And his answer was, and this comes right out of St. Augustine, well, you know, everything happens for a reason. God knows what he's doing. Um, uh, perhaps uh, God is trying to teach you a lesson through this somehow. 
And perhaps once you've learned the lesson, uh, God will give you a chance to have another child. Well, this just enraged her because she thought, how is it that prostitutes and cocaine addicts and others get to have babies, but God tricks me, gives me a child and answer to prayer, but then kills my child in the process of giving birth to this child to teach me a lesson. And he won't tell me what the lesson is. So she, she shares this story with me and she wanted to know what I thought about it. And I said, are you worshiping God or El Capone? Because <laughs> El Capone or some mobster would say, hey, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to offer your kid to teach you a lesson, but I'm not going to tell you what the lesson is. That, that's something a mobster or some demonic being would do. Not, not, the, not God. Um, and so I, I, I was able to, then in, in talking with her, um, uh, give her an alternative to this. That, that this was, you know, what if God's grieving with you right now? As much as, 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 as you ever could. What if when God gave you this child, it was uh, with the good intention of, of, of you know, bringing this child into this world? Um, but other things happen. There's other wills at play. Nature is corrupted. And I talked to her about how, you know, the, the, all of nature, it doesn't operate the way it's supposed to operate. It's not that there's a devil, a demon in the, in the, in the womb that strangled the baby. But if this world wasn't fallen, things like that wouldn't happen. And, and so I was able to give her this reframe. And, and so maybe the dream, you know, now maybe there's a different calling. Maybe, you know, at this point, she's 40-some years old. Maybe, you know, seek God's will about his plan now. The plan could have been to have a child and, and you'd be the mother and raise this child. And maybe now for various reasons, that's not possible. But th there'll be another door that would open up. Maybe, maybe adoption is a possibility. Maybe. And so there's a new calling. And so we can't coast on yesterday's calling. Um, we have to always be saying, God, is, is this where I'm supposed to be right here and right now? Am I in the right place right here, right now? Having an open view of the world, it, 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 it calls for to have uh, to live with more. It really forces you to lean on God more, precisely because God alone knows all the variables that are affecting what comes to pass. And so God can be saying, it could go down this path. But then people make decisions, or maybe angels make decisions that change the situation. So now God says, no, I want you to go to this path. Just like in the book of Acts. Now they're going to go to Macedonia, but then the spirit says, no, I want you to go over here instead. And so we need to be on a day-by-day -day basis listening to the spirit's leading because um, things change. And we've got to stay in the moment if we're going to be staying relevant to what's going on in the world. No, that's great. I always wanted to build on that question as well. I know we've not got a whole heap of time left, but just um, arcing back to mission. Um, what do you think are the main implications uh, that the open theism kind of view or posture uh, leads us to in, in, in when we're thinking about our missiology and our mission? If you could sure. like maybe one or two things that that. Well, the main thing I think is, is that I, 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 the model that the open view suggests, I think, especially- and, and, Sorry, I, ju I should just say, not just when we talk about mission, I think it's been really great the way you've been talking about it, not just evangelism, but social justice, care for the world, creation, right. peacemaking, all that kind of stuff. Sure, sure. Uh, well, you know, the, the uh, I think there being Christ-centered is the all-important thing. However you work out the future, whether it's open theism or the classical view, uh, being Christ-centered in your understanding of mission um, and how Christ fulfills the mission of Israel and, you know, to, to reach the whole world. That's what's really important so that you don't have this truncated gospel which says, oh, we, we're here to save souls. 
but we leave it to government to take care of people. Uh, no, no, Jesus has a holistic ministry to body, soul, and spirit. And, 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 and we're to be replicating that. And so um, there's no way to follow Jesus and not be concerned with social justice, not be concerned with marginalization, not be concerned with people who are in pain anywhere. That, that's our job. And to manifest God's love in that particular situation um, is, I, I think, all important. The piece that the open view adds to that would simply be this, that um, in contrast to Christendom, and I don't know how, many, how much your readers might know of Christendom, but Christendom is the model of the church that began when in, in the fourth century when the church and state got fused under Constantine. And, and, and that's when the church developed this idea that we're going to conquer the world in Jesus' name. And at that moment, the kingdom of God just becomes another variation of the kingdom of the world. We're going to do what all the kingdoms of this world do, but we'll just do it in Jesus' name. Um, in contrast to that, the open view, because God gives us freedom, and respects our personhood, even when we're going to do things that are contrary to God's will, we also have to respect people's personhood and give them freedom, even when it disagrees with us. Uh, we should be the last people in the world trying to impose our morality on others. And I just think that, you know, we, as Jesus followers, we, we, we live a certain life, but that's because we're Jesus followers. We can't be imposing that on non-Jesus followers. What good does it do to make a, a, a pagan look like a Christian? <laughs> It only harms things because now it's not obvious that they're pagan. So uh, Luther actually held that view. <clears throat> so yeah, it, it would. I think that uh, it means in missions we respect the personhood of others, um, and and there should be no coercion. Uh, we, we should be a people who are willing to put forth our gospel and give people time to consider it. And 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 I think it it, it, it requires that we approach gospels with a humility. That this isn't just us, the truth bearers, confronting people who believe lies, but rather we know that we also are full of lies, <laughs> and and we're not superior to anybody. In fact, I take it from the teachings of Jesus that we're to consider ourselves the worst of sinners, right? Matthew seven, I, whatever you got, it's a, a dust particle compared to the plank in my eyes, and 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 so I have to approach the world with a looking up to them, not looking down on them. And that, that would include, what can I learn from them? Not just what do I have to teach you? This idea that, you know, and this has been a Christendom model for, for centuries, but basically um, we know the truth, you don't. So shut up and we talk. You shut up, we talk. Uh, it's gotta be much more dialogical, much more respectful, much more loving and much more humble than that. Uh, you know, we, we, if the truth is the truth, and, and I believe it is the truth, then we don't need to, to try to buttress it with our coercion or try to you know, scare people into it or anything. Just put it out there and, and uh, announce the good news of what Jesus Christ has done for everybody and just say, will you accept this? That's good. Live into it. Oh, wonderful. We've got two minutes on my clock anyway. Um, I've got other questions, but we won't have time for. Um, but what I really did want to ask is uh, just as, as a final question. Um, it feels like, I mean, this, we're in a massive moment of upheaval uh, off the back of so many things that have been shaking our you know our realities um and it really requires like a vision and understanding of uh, the kingdom that's that's both big enough and dynamic enough to to really impact and shift the tracks of history really sure. uh, what would you say to like we've got like, people listening pioneers people on the frontiers of mission trying to work out you know how to body forth the gospel in various context yes yeah yeah what, what would be your words of you know encouragement wisdom uh practices anything that you've learned sure, along sure. the road well i 
I guess what comes to my mind first is just this, that for, for me to bring the kingdom into any, any situation, I can't be wholly defined by that situation. I have to have an identity that transcends that situation to bring the kingdom into it. Um, so like, for example, let's say you and I are um, um, getting into a fight. We're in an argument. Let's say we're talking politics. Uh, and here in the States, it's impossible to talk politics and not get into a fight. It's just so polarized. So, so you know, let's say that I'm a pro-Trumper and you're an anti-Trumper and we're fighting about this whole thing. Well, see, if, 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 I'm, if I'm interested in winning this debate, I'm wholly defined by this debate. And your anger towards me is producing my anger towards you. So you're basically defining me. I'm defined by this situation. My whole, my thought, my heart, everything is like involved in this. So I can't bring the kingdom to this. Um, no, I, 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 I'm, we're doing the tit for tat thing. We're doing the, you know, you strike me, I strike you. It's, it's the whole, our amygdalas are, are working. Our prefrontal cortex has been shutting down. which does all of our abstract reasoning. But if I can stay present and remember that I, my first job is to do everything in love, 1 Corinthians 16, 14. Uh, and my job is to represent the kingdom of God. Um, if, if I'm thinking straight as a kingdom person, then I know that loving you in this debate is more important than winning the debate. And, and, and by loving you, I, that, that means that love is Jesus Christ, lays down his life for us. I, I, I have to show what you are worth. God, you are worth Jesus dying for. You have unsurpassable worth. And my job as a kingdom disciple, my first foremost job is to agree with God about that and to reflect that agreement by how I think about you and how I speak to you and how I treat you. You've got unsurpassable worth. You are worth God himself dying for. Uh, that's more important than this debate. So if, I'm, if I stay present, now I can bring the kingdom into this. I, I don't get triggered. I'm, I, my, my goal is showing love before it is trying to convince you. And as long as I'm winning on that score, I, I can be calm about our, our, our debate. And now I make this a kingdom moment. Now I'm, I, I'm, I, there's a possibility that I'll bring you into this kingdom love and change you as a result of it. So I would encourage people, whatever conflict they're in, even when your life is on the line, as it was for the early Christians, as it was for Jesus. But to always remember that you belong to an eternal kingdom um, that, that transcends all of history, uh, that you, you're going to come out victorious in the end, though you may have to die in the process. That's the book of Revelation. Uh, our victory is when we don't love our life so much that we cling to it, but rather we're willing to lay it down. And it's by virtue of having an identity in Christ that transcends the transitory contingent happenings of this world that, that empowers us to bring the kingdom to these situations. Um, so don't cling to anything uh, except, except Jesus Christ. And that empowers you then to bring Jesus Christ everywhere. That's, well, a great note to end. Uh, wonderful. Thank you so much, Greg, for joining well, thank us. Thank you, Mark. I, I appreciate what you're doing and I appreciate this network. Uh, and I want to encourage all your listeners to you know, stay passionate about, about the kingdom. And right now, we are in a Kairos moment. The world is in an upheaval. It's spinning. Um, but um, I want to say, hang in there because God's in control. And hopefully when I say God's in control, you know what I mean by this. <laughs> it, th th there could be a lot of things that are against God's world that's going to happen. But in the end, uh, God will be victorious. His love will be victorious. Uh, good will overcome evil. And so be on the right side of things. And it will turn out wonderful in the end. Thank you very much. Bless you, Mark. Thanks.
welcome back. Uh, I was about to say we hope, but I'm going to change that to I'm sure you enjoyed that interview. Um, Mark, before I ask you how it was to interview him, which is what we usually do, I just want to say that was a really good interview. You asked really good questions. Uh, I really, really enjoyed listening to it. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Th- thank you. Yeah. Um, it's good. But anyway, it. how was it then to be in that uh, place with Greg asking those questions and yeah. taking it all in or attempting to? Well, I don't know whether he's going to listen to it, but I really, really enjoyed it. I really, I really like him. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, I've read a lot of his books, listened to him, and but just to sit with him and spend some time with him. Yeah. Um, in fact, it's happened a lot of the time when we've interviewed people. It's just, you just come away feeling better mm. in some way but mm. I was really excited to be able to share this podcast yeah. so but yeah great cool um, I mean whilst he was speaking or in your reflections afterwards is there anything that's kind of like stuck with you a bit more than anything else any quotes or any uh, stories anecdotes <laughs> examples well there's a lot isn't there I mean we were just talking about uh, as we were trying to prepare a little bit but just like right off the bat really early on um, he was saying uh when I was asking him about his idea of mission that he inherited and how that's changed, and he went on to say that if you want to follow Jesus, uh, you, or you can't follow Jesus without being involved in the things that Jesus was involved in. Mm. And uh, Jesus pushed back on everything that is contrary to the kingdom of God. And I think we were both saying that was such a great... Mm. Oh, yeah. And it's mm. obviously common sense. We probably preach it, but I don't know, just... Uh, was really good to hear that yeah well i mean it does it sounds like it should be common sense but i also think i mean in like church traditions or church background growing up and stuff i mean it's not always been common sense like you kind of sometimes talk we don't talk politics we don't talk this we don't do that yeah uh, i mean it's not allowing us to operate in the places that jesus operated yeah but he also talked about discipleship didn't he and uh he said that's one of the hardest things he said you can, it's easy to get people into a into yeah. a building, yeah. into a church, but discipleship is quite hard, and yeah. I, I think it's connected to what you're saying there, because yeah. we get involved in loads of stuff. Not, not, not just saying we here in Helsingborg. I'm talking about we as the Christian. Yeah. We get involved in perhaps a lot of stuff that maybe Jesus wouldn't get yeah. involved in. Yeah. Actually, definitely wouldn't get involved in. Yeah. Uh, and that's connected to discipleship as we want disciples to be and followers. Yeah. That's a, that's a, they're going to leave people curious to think about what you mean. Yeah. Some what of the we, things we get involved in that Jesus definitely wouldn't get involved in. Yeah. We, <laughs> <laughs> some real weird stuff going on here. <laughs> so, yeah. Sorry, Jesus. Uh, I think and, people, I think people know. I think know that hopefully you you're mature enough. Yeah. Mature enough, yeah. you know, to, to know. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think, I mean, that was crucial. There's a lot of other things. You liked when you talked about calling the quote talking about quotes yeah yeah we can't coast on yesterday's calling um yeah i don't know i mean there's just a i don't know whether it's a security element but amongst his like when he's explaining open theism you just don't want to or i mean i guess the easy feeling is to think i'm alone in it then if there isn't like you're almost like uh when you when you get i don't know you're allowed to walk to school for the first time on your own you're like hang on a minute where's Where's Dad? <laughs> That's kind of like what I got, got when I was listening to it, but just thinking, okay, can't rest on yesterday's calling, just that, uh, I mean, that just shows that God's also progressive, that uh, he's ready for the journey, no matter which way you go, no matter which turn you take, there'll be kind of like these new opportunities, and God's already anticipated everything that you could possibly 
do. There is no like getting away. Yeah. And that's the same for everyone, no matter how don't like to use that this these words, but I can't think of better ones right now, but no matter how far away you are from God, I mean that's still within his realm of like possibilities mm-hmm. and uh uh, understanding and already planned for in in some way, and there's always the way back. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And I also quite liked, um, or I really liked actually, just at the end when he's talking about like he, he gave the example of you and him having an argument, um, and just uh, speaking about like how invested are we in conversations or things, or what are we trying to prove sometimes in arguments or debates that we're having, whether it's about politics or even like faith. Like trying to prove God's existence if you're someone who gets caught up in those conversations. I mean, what what's the fruit of trying to prove that to someone in, in like an argumentative situation? And he said, uh, don't cling to anything, not even your own opinions, not even your own views. Don't cling to anything except Jesus Christ and that empowers you to bring Jesus Christ anywhere. Mm. Reminded me of something... Um, with um, it, from Richard Raw's book Falling Upwards talks about first and second half of life just as you get more mature and wiser that kind of like you cling on to Jesus and the rest of the stuff falls into place rather than trying to stand firm to everything you ever think or, or believe like point proving basically yeah, yeah. you shared a good story with me if you want to share it what's that one um, uh, oh, yeah. in the factory yeah yeah oh yeah just connected to that about you know, when Greg said we we should be the last people last people on earth who are trying to impose a, a worldview on anyone um and I sh- i've said this story because uh when when i, I was about t- maybe 15 years ago 20 years ago um i got a job in a factory when i, f- when I moved out to sweden um and it was an, a very badly run factory it was a concrete factory they're making these things called piles that you see on construction sites when machines bang them into the ground for the mm. foundations mm. called piles and uh, the boss of the place was a Christian. That's how I got the job through uh, my wife's uh, dad. Um, but the whole place was run really badly. Morale was real bad. Everyone back back talked mm. and gossiped about each other. Mm. And when they found out I got the job through, uh, yeah, through the guy at the boss, and they realised I was a Christian and I was public enemy number one. And there's a group of them who kind of every day just on me, mm. like challenging my faith. And and I felt you know I, was, I stood, tried to stand up to them sometimes I felt I was doing well and other times just get silly sometimes even personal mm. and yeah got real bad I remember coming home one one night just really despondent it was a really really tough job uh, and yeah really despondent and just like what am I supposed to do how am I supposed to live what you know what fruit is there how am I supposed to show my face I remember opening a journal from a few years back and opened up to a page been making some notes in a I think it was in the Bible study class where we had a guest speaker who talked about living gracefully and doing things for people that they don't deserve being a blessing mm. and uh, he told all these stories about his own life but I remember being really inspired in that room but in that moment when he opened the journal I really felt God's just saying I needed to stop talking and trying to win the arguments actually that's more than what God said God I just felt God saying shut up Mm. Uh, and start uh, living gracefully and I'm not naturally a kind person so this was (laughs) (laughs) so this was like I really argued with God about that no no but then you know so I decided to start doing things for people that was strange and not strange but like out of my comfort zone so the first thing I did was bake a cake for this guy who'd been bullying me Mm. 
Uh, and then when his him and his uh, wife uh, girlfriend had a baby, I offered to do the shopping, which I did, and mm. and then all of a sudden, you know, my position in this whole like factory place gradually began to change. And I wish I could say everyone became Christians. That's not what happened, but um, as the the time went on, uh, this, this guy's wife left him, and he rang me up, and it was he said, "There's no one else I can talk to. I need to talk to you," and, and we built up a friendship. And then on my wedding, like all these guys had been bullying me at the beginning, mm. came to the wedding, mm. and uh, for me, I say this to people when I tell this story. I've been to training school to be a salvation army officer. I said that's the most spiritually forming year of my life because mm. it taught me that, um, all, you know, my education, you know, my ways of talking about Christianity, mm. it's all good, mm. uh, but there's something more foundational, um, and that is to. I guess that's the manifest the kingdom, yeah. like to body forth the kingdom in that's some it. way. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, long story, but yeah. I really resonated with that, yeah. and that's the story came to mind when yeah. you was talking about it. Yeah, I think it was important to share. Yeah, but I mean, the big hope for the podcast was to kind of understand like how open theism um, and and how mission like mm. makes sense together, and, and and what that looks like, and so that's why we talked about callings as well. Yeah you know, what's our role in co-creating yeah. uh, and, and stuff like that. So I found that really exciting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah well, uh, I mean, hopefully it's just the start of the conversation as well. By by no means do we think that any of these episodes or podcasts are question answerers. In fact, we'd be disappointed if they answered all questions. Uh, but uh, as it says right at the beginning, to inspire conversations with missional people. And so... Um, we want to do that practically as well we leave you with questions to discuss within your teams friendship groups uh, churches families whatever it may be uh, or engage with us if you don't have any of those uh, options to speak with you can access us through our social media um what questions are you going to leave today with mark well we always say you know what grabbed you what was exciting what was challenging what was stretching what would you love to hear more about? And we love we love to see some of that on the Facebook page. So do go to the Facebook page. But back to the questions, um, you know, uh, how can you? Um, what's a good context for you to have those kind of conversations? Uh, who needs to hear this podcast? Perhaps uh, who might you share it with? Uh, and you know, just maybe just to sit down and pause. What, what might God be saying off the back of this? about all the things that you've heard Greg sharing Um, what's your takeaway Mm. from this podcast good Um, good questions well uh, look before we end uh, let's give a little snapshot into what's to come probably one more maybe two more before summer uh, before we end season two but what's coming up next well I'm interviewing uh, Megan Batts and Elizabeth Black who are the founders of an organisation, mission organisation in New York, I believe, called Kaleidoscope, mm. which is uh, trying to work out expressions of church which engage uh, the gay community. Mm. Um, and I don't think I'm going to say more than that now, but it's going to be really exciting, really interesting. Yeah. Great. Well, uh, thanks for listening, guys, um, and we'll see you on the next one. Peace be with you.